Today on the Mountain Climbers podcast, part two of my conversation with David Seymour. Maybe I'm just fundamentally unlikable. David Seymour opens up about the death of his mother. What was growing up like for David? And of course, dancing with the stars. I kind of, I'm a little bit stuffed here. Learn the real reason why David Seymour went on the show and what he weeps for. I'm Duncan Tolmy, and the Mountain Climber podcast starts right now. Looking back at your childhood, how would you describe your childhood? Oh, lucky. Incredibly lucky. I mean, you know, to be born in the 20th century, or especially at the end of it, that, that was pretty lucky. Um, mm-hmm. To be born in New Zealand, you know, any time, um, well, that was pretty lucky. Um, and then to be born into, um, you know, a, a family that, you know, had a, a reasonable house and could send me to good schools and had, you know, food and resources. I mean, that was was lucky. And, and then, I mean... To be as intelligent and attractive as me—that was the <laughs> just just kidding. But, but no, I mean, you know, I, I've got, I've got, I've got all, all of those things were enormous luck, um, and and I have benefited from from some abilities. I mean, there's other things, you know, as everyone now knows, such as dancing, um, that that I'm absolutely hopeless at. But um, but it, it, it was lucky. Um, that's the only way to really put it to to have all of those sorts of. Of, of benefits. What are the characteristics that your parents instilled in you and that you had as a child that have become most important, being a politician? Um, well, both my parents instilled different things. I mean, my mum, who unfortunately is, is no longer with us, she died of cancer about 10 years ago, but um, mm. she was one of the last people in the Western world to contract the polio virus um, through a, a, a screw-up. Um, basically not refrigerating a live vaccine in, in 1956. They were still using live vaccines, as I understand it. Mm. Um, so she was told that she would never uh, have children, uh, she'd never drive, uh, she'd never go to university, she'd never work. Well, she overcame those things, and she became the chief pharmacist at the Northland DHB. Um, you, you know, you can judge her children. My brother's very successful. Um, <laughs> and um, someone had to be. But, um, and, and, of course, she, you know, she graduated with a master's in pharmacy from Otago. So you look at all those things and, and you think, well, that really shows that people can make a difference in their lives. It goes back to that opportunity for, through freedom to build self-esteem and choose your own course. So that was quite inspiring. Another little thing about her is that in spite of the fact that she really was one of the very few people under old technology who, who really was a victim of, of vaccination gone wrong, um, she was staunchly pro-vax throughout her life. And I think she showed that, you mm. know, just because something terrible happens to you doesn't mean you have to spend the rest of your life being a kook. Um, so, you know, mm. that was, uh, you know, pro-science was, was, was one of the things that, that she really instilled in me. Um, my dad, in a totally different way, um, was just a, an incredibly... Um, you know, humble, supportive guy. And things I remember about him, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Traffic, um, which is all about um, basically drug smuggling across the U.S.-Mexican border. And um, there's there's one guy who at the end of the movie um, had done a deal with the USDA, um, or DEA, sorry, or whatever the Americans that shoot people with drugs are. And um, he'd negotiated to get a baseball field built in Mexico for the kids and the movie ends with him watching the kids playing baseball. Hmm. Anyway 
watched this movie with my dad once and he said see he won because he was the only one that didn't want anything for himself and I always that's always stayed with me about dad wow um and i remember you know we were at a harriers club it was one of the most tedious things you ever join you just run around aimlessly um between different points but anyway he was uh, you know on the committee and stuff and someone said well brain's one of the people that will always put his hand up to help um so, you know, my mum's determination and individualism and, and scientific rationality, but, but also my dad's sense of, you know, helping others and community spirit, those, those, those are two things they gave me. If you weren't in politics, what, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, I'd be an electrical engineer. I mean, that's, you know, the path I was on. I, I got a, a big American firm flew me to Sydney for an interview when I finished uni. Um, and... I think I might have got the job, I don't know, but in the event I didn't because I failed a paper because I spent my last semester of engineering school trying to unseat Helen Clark in Mount Albert. <laughs> um, still can't work out how she beat me by 20,000 votes, but somehow or other she did. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's um, that's really the, the dilemma I faced, and that's mm. how I ended up being a politician instead of an engineer. Do you think that you will go back into engineering after you finish in politics? Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to be back in the private sector. It's going to be great. Um, and I imagine I'll do something in the field of energy or transport because they're both areas that have a combination of economics, politics, and technology, things I know mm. a little bit about. But that goes back to that advice about, you know, what do you have to study? I mean, you know, no disrespect, but a 17-year-old kid trying to choose a course right now has absolutely no idea who they'll be, what the economy will be like, what skills will be valuable mm. um, in in 20 years' time. So you might as well just do something you like and that you're going to get high grades in. You know? mm. Can you remember the first time that a stranger came up to you, David Seymour? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, not really. Um, I have this really distinctive sports car that always turns heads because it's pretty radical. <laughs> Built it when I was a kid. When you're um, not riding an e-bike. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It sort of makes up for the like makes up for all of the carbon emissions I save riding my e-bike. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, I, I remember this one time shortly after I was elected and these kids on the sidewalk said, that's David Seymour. I thought, Jeez, that's weird. I'm up, it's the first time I've ever upstaged this car. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you define success? I think success is about changing the world in a way you leave it better than you found it. And people do that in a whole range. I mean, entrepreneurs do it. I mean, teachers do it, you know. Um, Personal carers do it, you know, leaving people with a more comfortable and dignified existence than than they might have otherwise had. Um, So, you know, do you move the ball forward? Do you think there's a difference between legacy and success? Um. Well, in a, in a way, they're, they're the same in politics because it's the longevity and importance of the changes you make that I think measure your success. What do you do most often that develops your yourself personally? Oh, um, I think probably reading. Uh, I think it's really important to keep reading and read widely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just read Lizzie Marvelly's book, The F Word, Growing Up Feminist in Aotearoa. Uh, I've got to say, she's a great writer. She gets along mm-hmm. at a fast clip. Probably the main message I took out of it is that I am a feminist, but I'm not welcome. <laughs> um, you know, which is a real shame, but who knows? I mean, maybe she'll reconcile some of those contradictions one day. Um, but the point is, it's important to, to read widely. Most people's dream is to be on TV, mm. and that is a dream that you're one of the lucky few who's that's been <laughs> able to become a reality. And my family was absolutely hooked to Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> 
pretty much just because you were on it. But the one thing I kept on thinking to myself while you were on that show is, how on earth did the producers convince you to be on Dancing with the Stars? Oh, look, it was a pretty good proposition for a politician. So there's 400,000 people watching. A lot of them, you know, are sensible people that get on with their lives and don't read the political pages. Um, So they probably don't know who I am. Mm. Um, And this was a way of reaching out to people and saying, actually, you know, I'm not a bad person. Uh, Maybe I'm actually a good person. Um, And that, from a politician, 400,000 people, um, not all of whom previously had an interest in politics, um, that was just gold. What did you hope that people would see in you when you were on that program? I think just someone that strives to be a good person. I mean, you know, we copped a lot of flack. Um, and when I say we, I mean Amelia and I, and Amelia was just fabulous. Um, but we always transformed it to a positive. Um, you know, we weren't very good. Well, I wasn't. I mean, Amelia was a pretty amazing dancer, really, but I wasn't very good. Um, but we acknowledged that and then did our best, you know. Mm. So I think it, it showed that ultimately we're all stuck here on this planet for however long and we go wherever we think we go afterwards, but let's just make the best of it while we're here and now. Mm. And, and that's what we tried to, to, to put across and hopefully what people saw in us. Mm. What did Dancing with the Stars teach you about yourself? Oh, that I can be about 10 kgs lighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, um, I think it was an enormous boost in the sense that, you know, after some very, very crushing election results, you know, acts didn't perform very well. Um, I thought that, um, you know, well... What a bummer. Um, I'm kind of a little bit stuffed here. Um, Maybe I'm just fundamentally unlikable. I think Dancing with the Stars showed that it's not inherently me. It's not that I'm inherently unlikable. So that was very helpful at that particular point because, you know, after you get half a percent in the election, you think maybe it's just me. But I I don't think it was. I got a lot more people, a lot more votes on Dancing with the Stars than in the election. Yeah. My family particularly, Mm. we love puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. Mm. And over the holidays, we've had one of those massive puzzles with hundreds of pieces. And we got to the end, and there was one piece in the middle that was missing. And that was the first piece that everyone noticed. And I just thought, when I knew I was interviewing you, on Dancing with the Stars, you had so much support. But how did you focus on all those other puzzle pieces, all the positivity, and not get sucked in by that one little piece that was missing in the negativity? Well, what was that, my dancing ability? <laughs> well, no, oh, I looked on Facebook, yeah. and there was... And you even just had a call against bullying while you were on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, um, you know, it's a bit annoying. But you get desensitised in politics. That's one thing about it. I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. But over time, you don't really um, feel or react or respond to that sort of uh, treatment. You just become uh, completely desensitised. So, you know, probably as we speak, there'll be somebody writing something nasty about me somewhere. I don't care. I mean, I'm mm. a member of parliament. I'm making New Zealand a better place. And, uh, you know, somebody who has so little opportunity cost on their time, they're writing about me. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Do, is that hard skin something that you had to develop, or did mm. it just come naturally as people said things? Um, you know, there's... There's definitely things that that do annoy me, but for the most part, I just feel sorry for the people doing it because mm. I just think, you know, here you are, um, you know, anonymous person on Twitter or wherever you are, um, and 
you're never going to know a, a sort of a better way of thinking. You're never going to have a higher level of conversation or debate. You're just going to react negatively to things that, you know, 99.9% of the time they, you can tell they don't really even understand. Um, mm. So I, I, I weep for, you know, the people uh, that are doing that. It makes me sad for humanity that, you know, we've been so lucky to, um, you know, have the ability to, to speak and reason and do things that no other animal can do. Um, and some people, you know, despite all those blessings, don't use them. It's a real shame. How do you keep your, your ego in check? Well, it's a real challenge um, because, of course, when you're getting attention and when people recognize you and when people want you to come to their events, it's not just that that might be gratifying at a personal level. Um, it's also uh, hugely helpful at a professional level because ultimately people don't know who you are. They can't vote for you, and if people don't like you, they won't vote for you. Mm. So, you know, my job ultimately is to represent and reflect people's views in Parliament, and the better I do, the more people's views I get to represent and reflect because they vote for me more. Um, so, yeah, it is it is very challenging um, and often it's not just that you're personally gratified, it's that you're professionally you know, triumphant if someone recognises you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a challenge. There's one thing I was really wanting to do with you, David. There's a oh, particular thing that you end your um, face, all your Facebook and Snapchat uh, messages with. Yeah. So I was wondering if we could say that together. All right. Well, look, thanks you so much for joining us. And just remember to be safe, safe be, be strong, strong, and most importantly, be legendary. Thanks, David. Thank you, Duncan. Next week on the Mountain Climbers podcast, in her longest broadcast interview ever, Sandra Finlay, the mumtrepreneur that heads up Easy Lunch and Kindo, is here with over 3.3 million transactions and triple figure growth year on year. It's a nationwide phenomenon impacting literally hundreds of schools and tens of thousands of parents across the country every day. Yet behind all that success, what she says is her greatest legacy might just knock your socks off. I'm Duncan Tolmy, and the Mountain Climbers podcast continues next week. The Mountain Climbers podcast is awesome, largely due to Tim Pavis, a Kiwi photographer and videographer. We love Tim Pavis so much we have used Tim Pavis for our launch video. To discover more about Tim Pavis, visit www.timpavis.com or follow Tim Pavis on Instagram, www.instagram.com slash Tim Pavis. Trust me when I say Tim Pavis has got some awesome stuff. That's www.timpavis.com or search for Tim Pavis on Instagram. I'm Duncan Tolmy, and you've been listening to the Mountain Climbers Podcast. To stay connected, like the Mountain Climbers Podcast on Facebook today. 